So this morning we're going to turn to God's Word now and read from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 28 to 39. Um, It's a very familiar passage, so um, I'll, I'll ask Jeremy to read that for you now as you hear God's Word. Reading from the New Living Translation. Listen now for the Word of God. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And... I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above us or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this, your word. Would you guide us now as we think about it together? Would you show us truth, speak to our hearts, and prompt us to respond? Amen. So we're going to look at Romans um, chapter 8. The first three verses that we read there, verses 28 to 30, is where the main part of our focus is going to be this morning. Romans 8, 28 is often quoted We know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. It's often misunderstood. It's often misquoted. It's often shortened. It's sort of turned into a kind of a, it'll all be okay, or things will work themselves out, or every cloud has a silver lining. But that's not what this verse says. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to look at three things here. We're going to look at what God does that we we learn from these verses. We're going to look at what God does, we're going to look at who God does this for, and then we're going to look at what next. So first of all, what God does. We find that in the first of the verses that Jeremy read for us. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. So that's what God does. He works everything out for good. Everything, not just some things, but everything. This shows us something of his power, of his omnipotence. He can do anything and is currently, even now, working everything together. All things. Things happen. Good things happen and bad things happen. 
Things happen to people who are Christians and to people who are not Christians. Good things happen and bad things happen. And I think it's important to say at this point that God does not make bad things happen. But in his sovereign power, he does allow some bad things to happen. And of course, we don't know anything about all the bad things which he prevents from happening. So let's think for a moment about when bad things happen to the Christian, because that's often when we hear this verse quoted. And let's face it, we generally don't think or complain too much whenever good things happen to the Christian, do we? Why is that, I wonder? Maybe we think on some level we deserve it. In this broken world, everything that goes well, anything that goes well at all, is a miracle of grace. We often don't find too much difficulty in the fact that good things happen to people who are not Christians. And we don't seem to have much trouble when bad things happen to people whom we think perhaps deserve it. I think the area where we're honest, if we struggle the most, is when bad things happen to Christians. Should Christians not be exempt? Did Jesus not promise that we would all be okay if we followed him, that it would all be hunky-dory? No, he didn't. In fact, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Taking up your cross, the instrument of torture, doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? All the same sorts of things that happen to everybody else will happen to the people who love God. And yet this passage tells us that God works all these things, the good and the bad and everything in between, out for good. That means God will work them to good effect in your life. So imagine that life has just dealt you a heavy blow. And I know that for some of you, you won't have to imagine because maybe this is where your life is just now or the time that you're just coming through. Perhaps you've been devastated because something that you dreamed about and prayed about has gone wrong and your hopes have been dashed. Perhaps it's financial worries, not getting the job you'd longed for, a devastating diagnosis or a long and painful illness, a struggle with temptation, the loss of someone you love dearly. So imagine you confide in a friend. And this is what your friend says to you. It's okay. I'm sure God has something good planned for you. Remember, the Bible says he works all things together for our good. People sometimes use this verse to reassure themselves that in some ways when bad things happen, then surely good things are going to happen to balance it out. That's a nice principle. But I'm not confident that scripture promises that. I don't think scripture tells us that if something bad happens, God's going to turn it on his head and you'll end up with a material blessing in its place. It's not like when something bad happens, we can decide to give God a little while to see how it, to show us how it's going to turn out for good for us. The promise is not that we will see how every bad patch in our life works out for our good. The promise is that God will make sure that all the circumstances, bad and good, will work together for good in your life in its totality. The gospel doesn't offer you better circumstances in your life. It offers you a better life. It doesn't offer you better circumstances in your life. It offers you a better life. And yes, things happen in our lives which affect us. Our experiences can enrich us. They can sometimes hurt us. But the purpose of this life is surely ultimately to prepare us for the next eternal life, the next stage of our life, and to give us the opportunity to live as witnesses to that while we're here, to bring God glory, 
to tell and show others what it's about while we're here, to enjoy God and to enjoy relationship with him now and forever. So when we think about the Christian who has suffered painful circumstances, the real blessing in this is how God works it out for good. Often in hard times, we experience the blessing of the fellowship and support of other Christians. We have the privilege of having them pray for us when we don't even have words to pray. We have them alongside us. We know that God is with us. We know his power. We know his comfort beyond what we can actually really understand. So when you're going through a hard time, perhaps that's when you rely on God even more. Perhaps you're more aware of your need of him. Earlier on in the book of Romans, we read these words in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So when we look back on a hard time, and I'm sure many of you can identify with this too, we can sometimes see how God has used it to strengthen our faith. We can sometimes get a glimpse of his power a glimpse of his timing as he has worked out what seems like bad things for good. And you might be able to see how he has changed you through this or developed you or how by his spirit he has brought you closer to him or closer to the person he made you to be. And if you can't see it, don't worry. The promise is here. He's still doing it. So we've looked at what God is doing. God is working all things, the good things and the bad things and everything in between, out for good. What God does. Secondly, we're going to look at who God does this for. And two aspects of this are worth exploring. One is who we are and then who we are becoming. Verse 28, the second half of it tells us who God does this for. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So it's clear here, this is not a promise for everyone, but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And so I have to ask you, do you love him? Have you responded to his call? Do you want to live according to his purpose for your life? And if you do, this promise is for you. If this is who you are, then what you are becoming is important as well. We read the, the answer to that in verse 29. God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. That's what you're becoming, to become like his son. God sees the big picture. Let's face it, he composed the big picture and he placed us in it. He chose us. And God is not so concerned with our here and now state of happiness, our health and wealth, etc., as he is with our holiness. Let me explain. I don't mean that God doesn't care about our mundane, everyday, normal stuff, but his care goes so much further and so much deeper than that, so much further and so much deeper than we can understand. He chose you and he loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't want to leave you like that. He wants to make you more like Jesus. So God is more concerned with our holiness, with our sanctification, with growing and developing us to be more and more like Jesus. And this is why he works all things together for our good, for our ultimate good, to grow within us by the work of the Holy Spirit, the characteristics we see in Jesus. Did you notice how there we see the Trinity in action? 
God the Father working everything together to make us more like God the Son, Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians chapter 5 tells us something of this work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 22 and 23, we read these words, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's think for a moment about this fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a singular word. It's fruit. It's not, it's not fruits. It's not a pick and choose one or another fruit salad style where you can pick out the bits you like, where some of it's sweet and some of it's tangy and some of it's red and some of it's green and some of it's juicy and some of it's crunchy. It's not a pick and mix. It's not a fruit salad. It's more like a piece of fruit, which is red and green and juicy and tasty and sweet and tangy and fragrant. It's a piece of fruit with all of these characteristics. And so the Holy Spirit fruit is colored with all the characteristics we read in those verses. The Holy Spirit fruit, which the Holy Spirit grows in our lives, is a fruit which is a loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled kind of fruit. Do you see what I mean? We have a number of fruit trees in our garden and I like to take a wander through them from time to time just to see how things are developing. The fruit of course doesn't just appear fully formed. Um, it starts off small and it grows. First of all I'll notice a tiny wee flower bud and then a flower, then a tiny piece of fruit, and then it gets bigger, and it grows as the season goes on, and then it ripens, and it grows, and it develops until it's fully formed and ready, just until it's completely like it should be. And it makes me sad when I see that one of my trees has no fruit on it. They're all planted in the same soil, the same rain falls on them, the same sunshine shines upon them, the same birds visit, the same insects visit, and yet sometimes there's a tree which doesn't respond well to the growing season and doesn't have any fruit. And that's a sad thing. And how sad it is in our lives too if we don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing and evident. If we don't respond well to the growing season that God has placed us in. If we don't yield to his hand in our lives to him working within us, it seems like a waste of a growing season if you can't see the fruit. And as we yield to him, perhaps it's even through the difficult times in our lives that the fruit grows and develops most towards maturity. You can think of that, if you like, as the growing season. So let's focus in on one aspect of this Holy Spirit fruit. Um, I, I thought I might look at patience because confession time patience isn't something that I'm strong in. Um, I tend to, to want to hurry things up and would have a tendency towards impatience. So how does the Holy Spirit grow patience within us? Surely being patient only comes as a result of something going on which you would want to be hurried up. Something that you want to be over soon or something that you want to happen soon and yet you wait you learn to endure the waiting and you learn to make the most of the waiting and through that you become more patient. Or for example, the, the peacefulness. We, we don't generally find ourselves longing for peace in our lives if everything's already 100% peaceful. It's only in the absence of peace that we long for peace. 
And through this, God can work things together to develop a peaceful spirit within us. So in these sorts of ways, God is changing us. He's making us more and more like his son. So everything that happens in your life, externally good or bad, is part of your transformation into Christ's nature. God is working everything that happens in your life towards that one magnificent goal. I read a book recently called The Imperfect Disciple. It's written by Jared Wilson, and he calls it grace for people who can't seem to get their act together. So I picked it up because I thought it might be worth a read. And he says this, The Holy Spirit is doing a million things in your heart and with your life. And while the theme song of your spiritual life might seem more like another one bites the dust rather than we are the champions, you are indeed growing. We can look at these nine qualities called the fruit of the Spirit and see a composite portrait of the perfectly fruitful man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He alone is the perfection of these things. He alone is the flawless manifestation of these virtues. So we see that the Spirit is committed to making us more like Jesus. And in doing so, the Spirit is committed to making us more like the people we were designed to be. So if you're a believer, and if you love God, and if you've responded to his call for you, then he is working in your life through all your circumstances to make you more like Jesus. So we've looked at what God does, and we've looked at who God does this for, who you are and who you are becoming. And now we're going to look at what next. And we read about that in the next verse, verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And you'll notice that this is all written in the past tense, as if it has happened. And yet part of it is clearly still in the future. Why, I wonder. By describing something that still has to come by using the past tense, it kind of signifies the certainty. The certainty of it, although it has not yet happened, it is every bit as certain as if it had happened, as if it was done and could be seen. And again, I ask why? I wonder, is it in related in some way to the fact that our right standing with God is not based on something which has yet to happen, something which is yet to come? something which we need to do. Our right standing with God is based on something which has been done in the past tense. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The work has been done. And so while now in this life we share in his glory to a certain measure, we have no idea what sharing in the glory will be like in the next life, in his new creation that is something to look forward to, that the best is yet to come. And the verses later on underline again how certain this is, the absolute certainty that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. It's sure and it's certain, this hope for the believer. And so, two questions remain. Number one, have you responded to his call? You know that it's not about something that you can do, 
but about what Jesus has already done. And you know that there's nobody whose sin is too bad for you to come to him. To say that would be to say that Jesus dying on the cross wasn't enough for you. So that's the first question. Have you responded to his call? And if yes, rejoice and praise God for the promises he has given you. And if not, perhaps you would like to think more about that, even just now. To pray in the quietness of your heart. Maybe talk to someone here. Maybe ask us to pray with you. Please, if that's where you are, don't go home without having your questions answered and without saying yes to God for yourself. And the second question is this. If you have responded to his call, do you believe this promise? Do you believe it so much that you allow it to affect you, to shape your thoughts, to change your attitudes, and live your life in the context of this great promise? You need to know this. You can accept whatever happens in life because of the promise that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. And if you want the sermon in a sentence, I would sum it up like this. For the Christian, God works everything out for good, for your ultimate good. These good things will last forever and the best is yet to come. God works everything out for good. The good things will last forever and the best is yet to come. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and for your promises. May we each one respond to your word to us this morning. In the quietness of our own hearts, Lord, we bring our response to you for we bring our responses to you now. Maybe for some of us, we're turning to you for the first time. In the quietness of our hearts, even now, we're saying yes. And we don't really know what yes is going to look like in our lives, but we know that we want to say yes. Maybe some of us are heavy-hearted with things that we're struggling with. Lord, give your peace. And for all of us, Lord, will you help us to allow your promise to shape our thoughts, to change our attitudes, and our behaviour, that we might truly live in your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.